It'll just happen. It'll be magical. Okay. What? You ready, Scott? Is everyone at the right position? I think everybody will Mm -hmm. be fine. Do I look? Is this? Am I normal? You look normal. Yeah. (laughs) Probably have a dog on your lap. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a normal distance away? You're fine. Okay. Well, this is episode 56 of the podcast. I am Casey. I'm Scotty. And I'm Frank. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the podcast. Nothing's too too weird. Well, you know that everything is too black and everything is too white. Everything is too loose and everything is too tight. They got too much control. I hope they don't let go. It's too early. Too too, or too. There's too much sun today. It's no fun. It's too cold. What the heck is going on? I just don't know. Guess I'll start another podcast show. Cause nothing is wrong. However, something ain't right. Without the darkness, then there isn't any light. You're being too polite. I think that maybe we should fight. The days are too long. Oh God, another long night. Nothing is too shaven and nothing is too bearded. Nothing. Whoa, nothing is too weird. And then theme song plays. <laughs> All right, so Frank, Frankie. Yes. Are you Frank or Frankie? You can call me Frankie. Okay, that's okay. It's that's like what... family and friends, yeah. Okay. So I can I, do it. <laughs> I, I'm from the East Coast, so everyone has IE. Joey, Nikki, Frankie. You know, it's I'm... like I'm from the East Coast, yeah. Casey. Okay. No, no, no. That's cool. <laughs> Good try. Good try. <laughs> so you grew up in Philly. Yeah, South Philly. South Philly and Southwest. Um, I grew up around, uh, you know, I, my, I had two different neighborhoods. My mom and my dad were separate, you know, yeah. when I was a kid, a little young ch- young child. So anyway, I uh, grew up in kind of both neighborhoods, which is kind of cool. So because um, then I had two big groups of friends in yeah. each neighborhood. So, so yeah. just like the Fresh Prince, but you didn't go to Bel Air. Well, see, that's what I always say. Uh, I say, <laughs> see, his black ass moved out of my neighborhood. My white ass moved into the really black neighborhood. It was not... Nothing nice. Nothing <laughs> nice. My dad did not. The neighborhood my dad grew up, you know, was around. I mean, we were right across the street from the Pasco Street Homes, which is like a housing that? projects. Oh. So there's the Pasco, you know, they call it the Pasco Street Homes. And that was like, I mean, one of the really bad projects. And I mean, we were literally. You're right, right across, there? Yeah, right across the street. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, it was, you know, really bad uh, situation. I remember when I was a kid, I wouldn't tell you where I lived. And I mean, I w- if you came up to me, most people would say, oh, you brag about it. I would, when I was a kid and you asked me if I lived in Southwest Philly or, Philly or South Philly, I'd be like, no, I live in a suburb somewhere. <laughs> you know, and all the suburb kids are like, oh, I live in Philly, you know. So, I, I mean, I hated being from that neighborhood. I mean, you know, we're on welfare a lot. We're on food stamps. And I don't know if you've ever been on food stamps, but it's pretty horrible. It, it, you know, the feeling as a kid yeah. when you got to go to store. Now they have a little credit card. Yeah. Back then it was food stamps. Like it, actual yeah, it stamps. Says, it says food coupons right on the thing. Yeah. They're sort of called state, uh, you know. Federal government food coupons, and so you have ten dollar bills, ten twenty dollar, and they are neon colored. So it's what? Everybody. Oh yeah. So like, look at the poor kid. You know, they have pictures of the presidents on it, and, and it I, had pictures of presidents on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a one was a picture of I'll never forget. I think it was the twenty dollar one was uh, them writing the Declaration of Independence or something like what? that. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a whole picture. But the funny thing is, every time you pull out food stamps and you're in. When you're in a corner deli in South Philly or Southwest yeah. Philly, I mean, everybody knows your business anyway because we're all related. We're all Irish. We're all Italian from each other. But the funny thing is every time you pull out food stamps, you know who comes in right behind you? The hottest girl in your neighborhood. <laughs> every time. You know? And I always say, like, you're not balling. You know? There's no way of playing it off that you're balling. You know? So, yeah, that's how we grew up a little bit. Everyone knew 
the business where I grew up, but it was a small town. I don't know if you've ever been to Dallas Center. Yeah, yeah, I've been to Dallas Center. Okay. Been so, to the courthouse there. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go so, fight a ticket. <laughs> everyone knows everything about people there, too, but it's just like not like what you grew up with. Yeah, yeah. So um, you you have a book. You didn't write it. You, well, you we told the book. But yeah, but I wrote it, too. Yeah. But I mean, mo- it's uh, me and another, me and uh, the writer who did the, the the good meat and potatoes of it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I rewrote it and rewrote it with yeah. her. And, so, yeah. So I wrote that. And, and that's crazy. It's a crazy book. Y- your life has been yeah. crazy. It's like you've had like twenty lives. That's what some people. Yeah, and I, I you know, what, and it's. <laughs> do you I, feel that way? I like, do. I absolutely do. And it's like, I, I, I like to always try to think that like I learned from my mistakes, and you yeah. Know, and obviously, sometimes I make the same mistakes again. But <laughs> uh, sometimes, but what that book is full of is it's full of pain and it's you know to grow you have to have the pain i mean yeah. it's just you know if you had a life so easy then uh, and people always say why do we celebrate someone who had because i obviously become a bad guy in the book i mean I'm, i mean you know i'm pretty well yeah it, but it's just amazing like just the whole story it, mm-hmm. i just i can't believe it like when you read it and it's just like waiting for oh, the second man. second edition comes out next month uh, next april what? Yeah, we have a second because we ran we ran out of all of our books and we sold all over the world. So so I got a book and I'm hoping you'll sign it Absolutely. so I can do like a giveaway because I have a book of my own okay. that's on the iPad. But I bought a book that hopefully we can give to a listener. Yeah. So Absolutely. spread your word around. You can no. sign my iPad too if you want okay. to. <laughs> well, I've signed I signed Nooks before. I was kind of have you really? Yeah, yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and you know now so we have the second edition coming out, which gives you the little bit more story of. Uh, after the book came out, things got even more cra- not in a good way, like professionally. Like I was, yeah. you know, I was living in LA with some famous actors, and uh, you know, became like real good friends with like Slash, and and then we <laughs> all and then we all wrote a book together called Prison Ramen. So what? me, Slash, Danny Trejo, uh, Clifton Collins Jr., who's my like my roommate, who I live in his house when I'm in LA. Um, uh, just there's a whole bunch of us. The real, the biggest douchebag in the world, Shia LaBeouf. He's in there. Too. <laughs> His story is actually right next to mine. And I don't. I just I always like to tell everybody that. that Scott, is. for some reason, for a while, he just kept going Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. What was that about? That's just what he makes me do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a he's a he's a you know weird guy, but uh, you know he and, I, and you know he he. Treated me badly, and so I think did. He? Oh yeah, like I seen him. He one, seems like he'd treat. Yeah, people yeah. Badly. Like I seen him one day, and I had my book prison ramen on us. So I seen him. I'm like, yo, shy, and he comes walking by. He's like, yeah, I know, and he walks away. I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right, dude. So I'm sitting with um, uh, Billy Gerdell. You know, that's Mike and Molly. Big oh, so yeah. Me and Billy are sitting together. So I was like, I was like, what's up with that dude? And he's like, I don't know. It's Shia LaBeouf. And, and then <laughs> later on, I go up to Shy, and I'm like, right after this thing got over to where we were all at and I said hey shot because I was going to go make an amends to him I was like maybe I shouldn't have called him out like that with the book <laughs> so I go up to go see him and he's like some girl's going to go talk to him and right at the same time and he he sees me and he runs down <laughs> Coldwater Canyon in the, the valley he starts running from me like, <laughs> full sprints running so I look back at Billy and another guy from LA uh, director guy who st- and I was like what's the deal and he goes and this one guy just looks at me and goes points to where Shiloh's running he goes Biggest douchebag in LA. I mean, that's, that's big to be the big in LA. I mean, really, where it's the standard is, you know. So anyway, uh, we get off Shia LaBeouf. I'm probably 
Yeah, let's just talk about Shia LaBeouf the rest yeah. of the time. No. What I'm afraid of is, you know, I just don't want, you know, because my LA friends will listen to this. And, uh, you know, we're still, the book, Prison Rama is an amazing book. And we had a, so much great time researching fun. And um, and so I. So you know, what is it? Is it like a recipe book? Yeah, yeah. It's, so what? It's, it's all celebrities who've done time. Yeah. Their favorite ramen noodle recipes from either behind bars. <laughs> that or, yeah. is awesome. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so great. It was a wonder. I mean, really sold really well. It's I feel bad I didn't know about that. I yeah, should have yeah, done more research. And then I just got done. I helped uh, Jody Pico yeah. write her book, that small great things. I helped her with that. So, and that's you know. You are always doing something. Yeah, yeah. I got you just got back from Houston. You yeah, got an yeah. award. Huge. Yeah, yeah. I got the uh, National Civil Rights Hero of the Year Award. So that's given out oh once God. a year. To, to no, it's no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. I went to Houston, got <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Civil Rights Hero I mean, of the Year. <laughs> man, if it, you know, for this poor welfare kid from philly who really just didn't really have a shot and i and i mean that to be humble um you know to notice that one day i'm sitting at the un at a un sanctioned uh, reconciliation forum where i did a movie with uh, archbishop desmond tutu me him and bob dylan's kid jesse we all did this movie together called uh, reconciliation so they asked me to come to the un because they were going to uh, at this un sanctioned thing it wasn't at the un itself the building it was in dc actually so we go down, and they're going to premiere the movie for all these people from the UN. And I go there, and uh, Archbishop's there, and I, you know, we barely ever talked before, but he goes into the green room, and I'm waiting. I, had, I, I was supposed to just be there, and one of the guys from the thing comes up, one of the runners of the event. Yeah. He says, hey, Frank, do you think you'd kill 12 minutes on stage for us? Why? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like, I mean, and I, and now it's, I mean, I'm going to go on in like five minutes, right? So this is the one of the amazing moments in your life. So I'm already at an amazing moment. And so I go in the, back in the green room because now I have access to the green room because yeah. I'm going to go right on stage. And it's just, it's Yoda. Archbishop Desmond Tutu is just Yoda on this planet, you know? And I just see him just sitting there and he's like, hi, Frank, because he knows me from the movie. He's like, hi, Frank. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And so we're sitting there and uh, he said something and I... We start talking religion, of course. And he says, uh, hey, you know, Frank, what religion are you? And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, I'm sorry, Archbishop, I used to be Catholic. I used to be very <laughs> Catholic. My family gave me the story about how my grandmom, when I was a kid, and I loved my grandmom, she was a good woman. She, when you stubbed your toe to her, we were very Catholic now. And I'm not knocking Catholicism, just knocking <laughs> the way we were. So, so I would stub my toe, and, and, and I hope no one gets mad at me, my family, for this, but... <laughs> I would say, Grandma, I st- uh, cry, I stubbed my toe, I stubbed my toe. She said, God punished you. Oh, and my like, God. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, we say that. And then my mom and everyone I know, and they, our whole family says that, actually. It's, it's, God punished you. God punished you. I mean, it rolls right off the tongue. God punished you. So she says, you know, God punished you. And I was like a little kid, and I'm like, but I didn't do anything. He goes, she always go, he knows you're, you're going to do something. All right, so, oh. yeah. so I'm already prejudged. So. Anyway, so I'm talking to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and I just said, um, I said, you know, I used to be Catholic, but I'm not no more. And he's like, okay, okay. So let me ask you why. Why not? You know, and I was like, well, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's the story about the boat and the, all the animals. <laughs> I don't get it. Never did. And I, I don't believe it's true at all. And I said, I'm, it's a made-up story in that book, you know. And I was like, they're still discovering, they're still discovering animals down in, you know, South America that are 10,000-year-old animals. Yeah. That He did not find them and put them on a the boat. So that's just my point. Well, he says, oh, I get it. And he, he was like, absolutely, I get it. Da, da, da. He's like, I could tell he's about to flip the script on me, though. Like, I could just <laughs> see it. I felt the Yoda force coming up. The Yoda force. He just says, so he goes, well, let me ask you this, Frank. Uh, 
I'm going to ask you a question, and you answer it. And I was like, okay. But he answered it for me. He goes, so Frank, if I was to tell you that one day the wolf and the sheep will get along again, and you're going to say, and he's and now he's acting like me, he goes, and you're going to say, when was that, Archbishop? You know, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you know, like I'm wrong with it. So when was it, Frank? He goes, they got along on the ark. Because if they got crazy on the ark, they had to get off. And nobody wanted to get off the ark. <laughs> so then he turns to me. Now we're at this forum for reconciliation. Of course, Yoda's going to flip it <laughs> off. He goes, so if maybe if this whole world, if we all treated this world like an ark, maybe we'd get along a little bit better because we don't want to get off. And I was like, oh my God. damn, I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic again. Where's my bread? So um, but anyway, and, uh, but it, it was a good, I mean, this, I always think of these moments where, you know, it's just been an amazing run, and it's been hard. It's been a long, hard road, too. You've had a life of just crazy moments. Yeah. I mean, Good and bad, and so... What? what sorry, where were you going to go? You go where you were going to go. Well, I was just going to say, if you get, for our listeners, if you get, like, a rundown of... I mean, you don't have to... Yeah, yeah. Like, just so Tell pre- your whole life, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> two hours. <laughs> um... You know, so, you know, eventually my my mom gets married to a, uh, this man who's very abusive, uh, just a really not a good human being on the planet. And uh, my his, all of his rage and anger went towards me as a kid. I was 10 years old. He was 36, 37-year-old guy. And he used to beat the shit out of me like you would beat another guy in a bar fight, you know, like, and uh, brag to his friend. And I never had that in my life. My, it was just me and my mom, you know. I remember my mom smacked me once for running in the street. And I remember I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. You know, yeah. and I was a pretty good kid. And everyone will tell you that I was a good kid. This dude comes around. I'm grounded all the time in my rooms for three months on end. I mean, solitary confinement. He used to call me his POW of war. What? We were at war over my mom. Oh. And um, he used to always tell me he was going to get my mom that I love me. I mean, he was a rough dude. Bad. He used to always say he was going to beat the Italian out of me because my mom... Irish and uh, my dad is Italian and he didn't like it. He didn't, never met my dad. He would always talk shit about my dad. And I really didn't, I really didn't know my dad neither. But yeah. Um, so anyway, eventually he does get me kicked out of the house when I was 13 to go move. And that's when I had to go move with my real dad. And I went up and uh, my mom chose him over me. And that's the way it was for me as a kid. So um, I move in with my dad. My dad has a new wife and, and uh, you know, it was kind of crazy, and she had some boys, uh, some sons, not by my dad, and uh, they were all like a year younger than each other, but they were all a year younger than me. The first, the oldest was a year younger than me, and you know, we used to fight all the time, yeah. and they, they had some cousins that I used to always fight with him. I just became so angry, um, and I already started drinking too, probably by 13, oh, 14. By 13? Yeah, yeah, definitely, because that's what you do in our neighborhood. We have beer delivery services in Philadelphia. It's what? cool. Yeah, I mean, they deliver. You can stand on the street corner and be like, hey, bring me a keg. And you can be <laughs> underage. You know, it's like, bring me a keg. And if you're in the Irish neighborhood or in the tougher Irish parts, the beer guys just say, okay, and they come down, they'll drop the keg right over. If you want to have a kegger, you just order a keg to your house. I mean, but drinking at our neighborhood, yeah. it's just kind of this common. We have a whole big tradition of it. Uh, New Year's Day, not even New Year's Eve, but New Year's Day. So, anyway, I remember uh, I was drunk one night, one of my first nights. So I go to this all-black school, and when my dad gets me and he puts me in this all-black school, which was a brutal, horrible school and violent as hell, and uh, I was a white kid. I was one of the there's 700 and some students there. Only 20 of us were like white males. Oh my. Yeah, so we were real outnumbered, and I was a little skateboarder kid, so I already stood out from even the yeah. white kids, you know. But I was a star athlete too, so I made all the sports teams. So anyway, I just remember when I was drinking one night, there was this black kid that went to my school, and there was a skating rink right by my house. 
And he was comes walking by me, and I knew him. So I was like, yo, what's going on? He was with some girl. She was cute. Well, when they got down to the skating rink, which was only 50 yards from where we hung out and drank, uh, another kid came up. It was the other kid's girlfriend. And now we're only 13, and this kid blows his brains out. The kid I went to school with, right in front of, like, everybody. Right, um, I mean, yeah, like, blame matter, everything on the wall. It was, I mean, now we're, we hear we hear the gun, we look, he, we, it happens, the kid falls. So we're kind of like, oh, shit, you know? Like, I'm drinking with the older boys, smoking yeah. a little bit of weed. And I remember the cops came, obviously. And then they started the ones to try to find people for questioning, you know? Yeah. So they came up to where we were, because we were older, they were the older boys, and uh, they were going to see if they were, and all the older boys were smoking weed, and so they ran, you know, the cops were coming. And I, now again, I, I said earlier, I hated my neighborhood. I hated where I grew up. I would never tell you that I lived there. I was running from the cops, and I was, my first buzz was kicking in, as a, you know, and my yeah. ears were all warm, <laughs> and it was buzz, you know, my cloud, I felt like I was on a cloud. But I remember I was running back to my dad's house, and I thought, this is cool. I live yeah. here. That's what's up. Like, alcohol instantly lowered my standards of living. Like, yeah. I always thought, I'm going to get out, get out, get out. And I started drinking like all the rest of the people in my neighborhood. I started accepting things. Yeah. I live that way. Anyway, uh, from that summer, uh, that summer, I never went, I never finished school, but they still graduated me. I, they I, do that. Well, I missed 49 days of school. Yeah. 49 days. They just oh, don't want you there anymore. No, yeah. they just don't want me. I was... So they graduated me on, and I went to uh, my cousin's house, and he was involved in this group called the Skinheads. And he lived up in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is uh, around that area, and uh, Amish people and stuff. Oh, know, yeah, they have the know. cheese, don't uh, they? Lancaster uh, cheese. Yeah, they have, yeah, but Lancaster's just known for horse and buggies. I mean, they, yeah. like, they really live that way. It's not reenactment shit for you. You know what I mean? They really do turn butter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just how they live. And that, to me, that was fascinating. I mean, no electricity. 15 kids, you know, they all have like tons of kids because if one should die in a farming accident, they need workers. Else, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, but they're all very kind, nice people. Anyway, my cousin wasn't an Amish guy, he was a normal person. And uh, not knocking any Amish if they're listening to this shit. They are I'm, listening, they're breaking they're, the rules. Yeah, yeah. the and God knows, and we'll stub their toe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was into this group, and I just really enjoyed uh, hanging out with him and this, these skinhead guys, these neo Nazi skinheads, because there's different kinds of skinheads. And these guys were neo-Nazi skinheads, and they used to talk about multiracial society will never work. I didn't know. I'm four, just turning 14 years old. I'm just barely struggling to make it as a kid. Yeah. And uh, I knew blacks and whites didn't get along because I just fist fought 15 black kids a week at school. Um, so it was just all. And that's what, like, reading the book, I'm like, it does seem like when you think about it, it would be so easy. Like, because, you know, I was not, I know it's shocking. I was not cool in school. But if someone yeah. was, like, to show an interest and be like, hey, yeah. And talk to me, I'd be... Especially that's what, if you have parents. I mean, like, if you have good parents who showed They would some, stop it, yeah. yeah. And showed interest in your life. And, and this, uh, I'm telling you, we could probably call them right now on this podcast. We call either my mom or my dad. They won't ask me once. And if they do, it's in a fleeting thought of, they, just because they should ask me, how's, how am I doing? Or how's life? How's my grandchildren? Okay. And then when they do ask me the questions, they'll, I'll start to answer them. Yeah. And then they shut me off and start talking about whatever they want. About their about problems or something? Oh, about who, what drug dealer got robbed in the city today and who they know, <laughs> who robbed them. They know who robbed them. They're going to cut, the, cut them in on the deal because they know and they're going to keep it. You know, that's what my parents That's, that's a conversation with them. Yeah. You know, it's just always crazy shit like that. Yeah. And I, and I you know, my parents, they're, they're just uh, different. You know, yeah. they're different parents. And um, 
so be it. I'm not. I don't hold grudges anymore. You know, I can't. I can't. I have to forgive uh, things in my life. I want people to forgive me because yeah. I later on, as I get into the skinhead group, I become this leader guy in a way, and I'm like super ultra violent. I mean, I had a big swastika tattooed on my neck at 15 years old, made in Philly, tattooed across the top of my head, which I still have to this day. The swastika I got taken off, but the uh, made in Philly is in my up in my hairline, and it's true. I mean, I'm just, my parents. Fucked in Philly, so, <laughs> so I got the tattoo to say that. So well, thank if you'd you you like to know where Scott's parents, where he was conceived, it's Branson, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Branson, oh my, that's like, classy, huh? Isn't that the Russian guys real big there, right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Yakov. Yeah, Yakov. <laughs> in uh, you know, America, you, <laughs> you know, drive a car. In Russia, a car drive you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a stupid. Always, it's always that. Same jokes. I and, learned and that over lunch him. one time. Yeah. I was like, oh, good. Yeah, they love him in Branson. It's like billboards about him. Like you know, oh my god, that's crazy. That's a crazy place. Yeah. Yep, that's where he's from. Yeah. <laughs> isn't Made like in Beth- Branson. Isn't it like the Bethlehem Made of like the, the Mormons or something? Someone's saying that like that's like oh, the Bethlehem. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's they, their holy land yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. That's heaven. Holy. Yeah. I read the Book of Mormons actually when I was in Did prison. You? Yeah, I read cover to cover. One of the only biggest holiest books I've read cover to cover. Was, was it bonkers? interesting? It was crazy. I mean, yeah. it, it, this show is called Weird. It, it was, I mean, it's just, it's just so many things that make it even more approval like, to me where I was like, this is just bullshit organized religion like yeah. and, I, and i and i love anyone who's a mormon if they keep it there I mean, i'm not knocking your religion i don't get it and that's okay because yeah. my concept of the higher power is so different than what i grew up with and the concept i have today is i can't step in the way of your spiritual growth that's my biggest sin i can ever do to somebody so i'm not knocking anyone's religion i i just didn't get it you know what i mean yeah. i just didn't get joseph smith i didn't get the, the not why didn't he didn't reveal the plates to everybody and, and i'm sure they have tons of great stories for why he didn't but Something to look up after the podcast and maybe on the break is, I can talk about a little bit, but bubbling. Have you heard of that? Bubbling. Is that a gay thing or something? Well, (laughs) it's weird because the Mormons won't look at porn, but they want to. So they will put bubbles over pictures of women in swimsuits so it looks like a naked picture. I want everyone Google bubbling. We're off track. We're off track. (laughs) We should do that for the next podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe the next book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so with that, you know, I become this ultra violent kid and uh, it's because of accolades. See, the movement would give me accolades. The older men in the pro in the movement would give me accolades for violence, recruiting, speaking on what we were learning. You know, I mean, I'm now learning about the Jews. I didn't know anything about the Jews growing up. There was no Jews in my neighborhood in yeah. South Philly. I didn't, I never seen any Jews anyway. And, uh, I remember when they started talking about the Jews, they'd always talk about the federal reserve. Federal could Zag, Zionist occupation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then they started talking about the, this, um, you know, they secretly take money from the, our company, our government and they give it to Israel through this Federal Reserve. Now, look, I'm 14 years old, don't even know where the hell I am, you know, yeah. sometimes, and they're talking to me about the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I'm 41 right now, I still don't know what the fuck the Federal Reserve is. It's always bad shit. So, um, and then they would talk about, you know, the money and the Jews. And what that did to me in a way was, and so if you ever say this, and people that are listening ever say this, because it's a very common thing sometimes, and people don't even know that they shouldn't say it. I remember my uncles, who are good men, great men in my life, would say stuff like, oh, I was at the store today, Johnny tried to Jew me. And I never got that when I was a kid. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't yeah. get it, you know? As a kid, I didn't get that joke. And everyone would always laugh. Oh, he's always trying to Jew somebody. Oh, Jew, you know? And I was like, I don't get it. And I never would ask what that meant. How do you start a Jewish prayer? You roll a penny down the street. I remember hearing that joke a thousand times when I was a kid. And it was like, why? Yeah. I mean, do they eat them? I don't get it. What's so exciting about this fucking penny that they're chasing? So when they started to talk like that about that, it unlocked what the adults knew in my life. 
And that's what oh, I want to know. Yeah. I want yeah. that knowledge because they left me to fend for myself. And I want to know what they know. I want to be able to go back and, and be just part of them. Because, yeah. um, and as I got into this group, it was people feared us. And I, and I you know, it just, it is what it is. And, I, and people judge me for it still to this day. But look, I'm a 14-year-old kid who people are starting to fear me with my group. And I, I have to look back over my life to, to psychoanalyze it all. But the, on, God's honest truth is, why do I like when people have fear in their eyes over me? It's the same reason a bully gets. So, you, you know, you can take this same reason why a gangster gets the same. We all want that same look of someone fearing us because a terrorist, it's, we're all the same yeah. makeup. We're egomaniacs with no self-esteem. And I am a scared little boy inside. I'm a child yeah. who I, you know, I'm scared of my, my parents. I'm scared of them just throwing me away again. I'm scared of my step parents who could give a rat's ass about me. I'm scared of my school because I got to go to school and fist fight black kids. You know, I was fist fighting anyway. I was just so violent at the time. And I'm scared of I'm going to have freaking food to eat today. And I'm yeah. 14 years old. So, I mean, people could judge me all they want and say, that, you know, and I can admit that I was my brain was broken. And it still is broken. You know, I got to, my brain is going to always, my first thought is usually criminal. I mean, yeah. you know, it really is. I, I I don't know if other people notice, but like every other Friday by my house, there's a, a gas station. This armored car comes every, like between like 11 and 2, like mm-hmm. every other Friday. Who else notices that shit? Like, <laughs> like, I, I start to notice that and I'm always in. Now, when every time I'm always timing it, like right on 11, I'll be outside. And I'm always like, oh, armored car. And then, sure enough, in an hour or so, I'll see that armored car. And I'm like, and I, you know, no other people notice Thoughts pass your mind. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm just like, yeah. But it's just funny, um, you know, because, but I know that the payoff of the way I live today is is so abundant in, in what I could do, and, uh, you know, so, um, so yeah, it's a crazy life. I mean, I, I went to prison for a while. I was, I was one of the youngest kids in a prison. I was in, um, in the Illinois department. went to prison department. with John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. I remember, seeing, you know, you get to see him. He was way off in the death row part, but, and everyone the guards would always mess with you because if you were young, you know, I was 17 when I got in there. Yeah. So they always, he killed like 34, 17-year-old yeah. boys. That was like his victims, you know, so they make sure to tell you that. Now, again, I remember, I get upstate, I'm not scared and I'm not saying that because I'm a tough guy. I knew that the Aryan gangs and all the white gangs knew who, who I was because I had a TV show, I had my own cable access show for recruiting people. Okay, that's... That's crazy too. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I was seventeen years old, hosting a show on regular cable access. Like, it's like, a, like an awful World. Wayne's World. You know, yeah, <laughs> it was like a, it was total. We did a little skits. We had the whole scripts written out. I mean, way more than what the other people were doing. There's other people in the movement that were doing shows, Race for Reason with Tom Metzger. There's all these other people doing shows. They were so boring, and I believed what they believed. I couldn't watch twenty minutes of the freaking show because it would just be your guys. Like, oh yeah, and you guys do this, and what do you believe? You know, I'm like bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Like we wanted to make people watch the show. And so we did all these little skits, and it was funny, man. Like, it was bad, but it was funny, and <laughs> people watched, and the show got real popular, and um, the media really picked up on it and did, like, big articles about our show. And at the bottom of the article, the media says, if you want to know more about this show, watch it at 4.30s on Wednesdays. If, you know, Channel for the so it's just, like, people. promo. Commercial. Yeah. As now, as I worked in marketing in my life yeah. later on in life, I'm like, why? I couldn't pay to get the hockey that team. Publicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't pay for that. And they would put us on the Sunday paper and above the fold. You know, yeah. I mean, like beautifully. And so we, we just crushed it there in, in Springfield, Illinois. So I was out in Springfield by that time. I was on the run. I had warrants for my arrest in Philly and New Jersey and Delaware. 
I mean, I was a tri-state. I'm, I'm a tri-state kind of guy, you know. That's my little tri-state <laughs> area there. And I was on it in all three states, and it was just uh, got put in the underground system for a while, and popped back up in Springfield. Um, and it was uh, after you know I broke out of a mental hospital. Yeah, you broke hope. out of a mental hospital. Oh yeah, that was a whole big to do. <laughs> to do. <laughs> yeah. It was this thing. It was yeah. this thing. These guys were chasing me, big orderly trying to catch me, <laughs> and no one's catching me. I'm freaking fast. Like I'm unbelievably fast. So how'd you end up in the mental hospital? Uh, I was all drunk one night. I was so I'm working for this guy. Let me tell you about you know. There's always good people in your life, you know, and I. I I got a job working for a guy from Terre Haute, Indiana, but he worked in Indianapolis, and that's where I met him. Just one day, I seen him doing concrete work, and I said, hey, I need money. I was out of money that I had had, I brought with me. I was out of it, and so I just walked around. We weren't even supposed to leave the safe house we lived in until nighttime. We were just not to draw attention to us. But anyway, I sneak out. I was a 17-year-old. They were all like... The, in their late twenties, you know, they were kind of like, like let's old, chill out at home. Yeah, let's all sit around and talk about race war. And I was like, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit, bullshit. You know, I'm like, I'm sneaking out. I'm gonna go find girls because you guys don't have no girls up in here. I'm 17 <laughs> years old and I yeah. gotta find girls. So, uh, but I would just, you know, walk around and finally I got a job working for this guy who does concrete and uh, white guy, not racist at all. And that, I, you know, he, he never really made it. Well, he wasn't because he was obsessed with uh, Oprah Winfrey at the time. Oh, yeah, he was this guy. He just he thought she was so. She was it. She was the thing, you know. And he like w- he was like in love with her. He's like, just like this is. He always talked about like what was on her show the day before and just kind of. And he, I mean, I just remember one. I, swear, I remember thinking one day I was like, if this dude brings up Oprah again this day, <laughs> I'm gonna know he's stalking her. Because and I go to work and within ten minutes, do you watch Oprah? And I always go, and I point to the swastika on my neck and I always go, nah, I watch Oprah. And he go. Oh man, you missed it. <laughs> so, um, so he was funny. That's cute. So he would uh, smoke weed all day at work too, though. And uh, we didn't do drugs. We weren't allowed to do any drugs in our movement. None. Like if you did them and they, we found out, we'd kill you. Why is that? Because drug addicts snitch quicker. Okay. You know, because they just want to get out and get high. Oh yeah. So when they're mm. sitting there Jones and then the cops are like, "We'll let you out if you tell us who's doing what gotcha. and what." So it's always been a thing. And then also, uh, it was just something that we wanted to keep away from our movement, just because just. Inevitably, it's going to be bad. So, yeah. I mean, the whole thing going to be bad anyway. It's kind of like the mob where they're like, don't deal drugs. Right, right. And then the guys that go do, mm-hmm. and then they make you know, good fellas. And, yep. Yeah, so. Then you get movie deals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like me, you know? So, uh, so anyway, the, um, this guy, he, he would smoke weed. I remember this. And he'd always, like, try to hand me a bowl. He'd always be like, come on, here. He hit his little, he had a little marble bowl. He always smoked while we were working. And he'd go, here, you want to hit? And I always go, No. That's ruining the right race. And he, he always he had the best con. You go, yeah. As he smoked, take him another. Like, yeah, uh, I own a business. You're homeless. <laughs> I'm ruining the white race. Good one, Frank. You know, and I was like, yeah, you got me on that one. You know. So anyway, he lived in Terre Haute, Indiana, and by this time, I made friends with the Springfield Skins, which were about four or five hours away. But Terre Haute's right in the middle. So sometimes my boss, he liked me so much, he would drive me all to Terre Haute on a Friday, like after work. He'd drive me all the way, I mean, drive me all the way to Springfield and yeah. then, like go home. And he'd be like, I'll be back to pick you up Sunday night or Monday morning. Because he is just like, a good was, guy. He's a good guy and he loved my work ethic, you know, that work, I worked hard for him and uh, always willing to learn. And so, anyway, um, one day he said, Hey, I, I can't take you to Springfield, but I can get you to at least Terre Haute, where I live, and, and we'll figure out something on Saturday morning. You know, I said, Fine. Friday night, he says, What can I do for you? Can you stay? He asked me if I would stay at his apartment because he's going to sleep out at his new girlfriend's house or whatever. I said, sure, I'll stay at your apartment. 
He said, can I do you anything? I said, yeah, give me a case of beer. You know, I'm an alcoholic, raging alcoholic, about a 16. <laughs> but you don't smoke weed. <laughs> don't smoke weed. So weed's bad for the white race. But pounding booze is great. You know, so you do such great thinking. Um, I know they probably also needed some weed. So the funny thing is, when I get there, he says, hey, I have nothing in my apartment. And he was not joking. Like, he didn't even walk upstairs with me. He gave me the key to his little apartment. He's like, because I'm better on the second story. And I found that it was this little apartment built, a little apartment thing. I go in and he had like alarm clock radio, a little TV to watch Oprah on, you know, <laughs> and like a, 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 a refrigerator. And I mean, that's no food. No, no, I didn't, I didn't buy any food because I was like, I'm an alcoholic. I don't think about <laughs> food's a good idea. I don't think that. So anyway, I get all drunk. And as I'm drinking, I start thinking about just getting depressed. You know, look, for anyone that's out there, man, you have your friend that like loses his girlfriend. And they say, hey, let's go have a few drinks. No, because it's, it's a depressant. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to, your boy's going to get the crying drunks at the bar. You're going to get an <laughs> asshole. You know, you just take him to a strip club. You know, do something <laughs> real. You know. But anyway, you know, when you start to drink and you're depressed, it, 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 it's a trick. It says, oh, I'll make you feel better. But secretly, it's going to make you more depressed. Yeah. Well, I start getting more and more depressed sitting in this apartment. And, you know, no one knows where, my, where I am in the world, my parents, my grandparents. No, I'm, I'm a John Doe to my na- to my boss. My boss yeah. doesn't even know my real ass name. My, I gave him a social security number. When he first asked me for my social security number, I gave him two phone numbers. My grandma <laughs> and my aunt. And then he says to me, after I give him all, he goes, dude, that's too many numbers. I was like, oh, how, how many? And he goes, it's four too many. And I was like, eh, take two off the front, two off the back. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. You know? And he's like, all right, you knew all the bullshit. <laughs> So uh, I'm in this bar- apartment and I'm just getting drunk and I can't find anything on the radio except for like country music and I like some country but back then I didn't like it and it was more, more depressing. Yeah. And then, you know, no no girl, nothing in my life and then I'm like in Terre Haute, Indiana, <laughs> like that's <Yeah>. depressing. <laughs> yeah. Super depressing. So um, I slipped both my wrist, just all drunk, stupid, wrote a alone. suicide note. Yeah, all alone thought this was a good idea you know that's my great thinking so i slowly spoke my wrist wide open it's bleeding all over my boss's apartment like crazy bleeding all over the place so i went outside after like two in the morning because i just I, I couldn't stop bleeding but it wasn't i knew i wasn't going to die i was drunk but i knew i wasn't going to die so i was just going to wait out this thing and hopefully it would stop bleeding so i went out on the back porch because i already got blood all over his apartment my poor boss so i go outside and i'm hanging my hands over this balcony and this guy is walking his dog. My boss's downstairs neighbor, like the guy who lives right below him, is walking his dog. And he looks up at me. And I remember he's all looking at me. Again, I'm drunk, so I'm not best decision making. <laughs> so I look down at him like, the hell are you doing walking the dog something normal, normal? You know, you <laughs> son of a bitch. And he looks up at me and I just seen this look. Again, fear. Uh, this was different. This was, oh my God. Like, And I was like, well, are you looking at me? And I remember I'm covered in blood. And I yeah. remember, like, I really did not even think about it, you know. And I was like, and as soon as I thought about it, I was like, oh, shit. And I ran back into the apartment. Well, he thinks I killed my oh, boss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he just thought I killed him. Like, he had never seen me before in his life. Yeah. And he, he knows the guy upstairs. You know, you know, they were friends or whatever. He calls the police. They show up, knock on the door. I'm all drunk. I see the police are there, and they're, like, coming in these vans, like SWAT vans or something. They think there's a dead body in there. They're pounding on the door, and I was like, nobody's home. Leave me alone, you know, and I'm like, everything's cool. And they were like, yeah, right. And they kicked in the door and no search warrant, but, you know, I'm not going to give you a tip for that. So they surrounded me and uh, surrounded me with guns and were like, where's the dead body? And I'm so drunk and stupid. And I'm like, 
don't know what you're talking about, but you're making the situation a lot worse about this dead body situation. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. And if there is a dead body, I had nothing to do with it. You know, like trying. And then they, uh, I gave them my fake name after they finally seen. I tried to kill myself. Like they seen the suicide note that I'd wrote out, which is for probably illegible. And um, they brought me to because I don't give them the fake name, so I didn't have to. They, I would get all the warrants for my arrest, and I yeah. didn't tell them my real name. So they brought me to a mental hospital called uh, St. Catherine, or Catherine Hamilton's, but they call it Crazy Kate's. <laughs> so they brought me to Crazy Kate's, and it's a lockdown mental institution in, in Terre Haute, Indiana. And when I get there, I tell them my real name, just because I thought, maybe I get help. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm drunk, stupid, who knows. Tell them my real name. Well, right away, them freaking nuts called the cops and said, hey, <laughs> this is the name he's given us. You gave you a different name. And they looked it up, and then they, the doctor comes back to me. And I'm still kind of handcuffed to the bed at the time. And he says, we're going to let you hang out here for a couple of days. He goes, but we know you have warrants for your arrest, and we're just figuring out a way to ship you back. He's like, because we can't really help you here. You have no guardian in the state. You have no insurance. You have nothing, you know? Yeah. And you're just a you're mess. And I was an absolute mess. So I waited about two days. They still hadn't figured out what they were going to do with me. And I called the skinheads from Springfield up. And I said, hey, come break me out of this hospital. So they get like this, like, prostitute girl or something she comes to visit me and acts like she's my aunt and they let her in you know and she's and she goes um i give her the map and i said this is the window i want you to break they happen to give me the only room on the unit no lie all the rest of the rooms were down this hallway my room was the corner and had the windows to the parking lot like six of them and there were huge windows so i go drew up the map of which window i wanted them to break and yeah, they came and they threw up. It's like bricks. it's meant to be. You were yeah, yeah. To I mean, yeah. It, well, I was because I was. I was not going back to juvie. I've been to juvie in Philly like three times, and it's, it was hell. Especially if you're a white kid and you're a skinhead. It wasn't very nice. Yeah. You know what I mean, so I just always got the Puerto Ricans on my side because I always played football for the Puerto Rican teams, and I always the Puerto Ricans wouldn't win until I got there. And we started winning again, you know. So anyway, that's another story. So the guys came and broke me out of the hospital, and I put all the furniture against my door in the room, you know. Trying, and uh, I forgot, like all mental hospitals, th- your door doesn't, it pulls open. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I pulled open, all my furniture's just sitting there, all falls over, and I'm like looking over at the orderlies, and I'm like, what the, what are you doing? And I was just like, gotta go. You know, I jumped out the window. I'm crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, I wrote them this note and this note. And uh, now, for everyone that says, you know, like, this is crazy. Did this thing, these things really happen? Let's pause it for a second. I, years later, uh, I'm speaking, I'm helping out, I'm doing the things I'm doing today, running Harmony through hockey and stuff, and I move here, I moved to Iowa. And this writer, Jody Roy, who is my, yeah. my writer in a book, she's like the one of the biggest like fact finders, and she's like a, she she knows her stuff on subcultures, and she's one of the leading experts in the world, on especially neo-Nazi subcultures. I mean, she knows it all. And she'd been dying, not dying, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna say it, Jody. She's been dying to interview me for another book project she's been doing, but I've been blowing her off. You wouldn't know what that's like. You know, when people are asking me, and I'm always like, ah, whatever. I that's what I did to her. I was like, okay, whatever. And she's like, no, I'm writing this book. It, you know, it's it's, and I, I need you to be a chapter because people keep bringing you up. People keep always talking about you, and I was like, all right. Well, well that had to feel good. Yeah, it does. Tweet your ego a little bit, but so she came down to visit me, and um, I do this interview for her book and then I was like Jody I was like I like the way I could talk with you because you know all the lingo you know I don't have to go back and explain who's who who because you know them all I said why don't you write my book and she goes well just be the chapter in my book first and I was like look chick I'm more than a chapter <laughs> and she goes and she's like I know you are and I swear to God this is a conversation she's like I know you are she's like let me talk to my publisher about it something happened she calls me she goes okay let's do it 
She goes, but first, there's some shit that I've heard that I don't believe is true. And she's like, and if we find one thing that's not true, I will not write this book with you. And I was like, okay. And now James Fry just got called out on Oprah. Oh, like, God, yeah. Right on the, all Oprah, the same time. it all comes back yeah, to Oprah. All, Oprah's, she's on it. She runs the world. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I said, sure, you know, I, 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 I have no reason to lie to you. And my story, my life was crazy enough to you know, have to make anything yeah. up. I mean, really, if anything, I'd dumb it down a little bit because some people, you know, really. And so she goes, well, here goes what I'm, we're going to do. First story, first place we're going, because we went to every location across the country and wrote the story there at the locations, like, or at least got the, for, you know, the yeah. format of the, the, the next chapter by standing right where things happen. She goes, we're going to the hospital that you say you broke out of because I do not believe that fucking story. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I take a bus to Terre Haute from, from Des Moines. She drives down from Wisconsin. We meet there. It takes us like a day to find the hospital. So it's looking bad. Like my yeah. first day. So like, you <laughs> there's know, no hospital. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. There's no, finally, we talk to this cop and we explain what's going on, who's this and that. And he says, oh, I know where that would have been. That would have been... Catherine Hamilton's. That's down here. It's behind these other hospitals. You can't see it from the road. No one can. You have to know it's down there. And we're like, okay. We go, and as soon as we pull up, I got pictures of it because we walked up and we started taking tons of pictures. Yeah. I'm like, there it is. There's my window. <laughs> and oh my then uh, we go into the hospital, and it's 15 years later. What did it feel like going back? It was weird. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. It really was. And I don't mean crazy. Crazy Kate. Yeah. So I walk in, and, and uh, Jody. Who's a, she's a assistant dean of students at a very prominent private college. I mean, I mean, she's 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 knows her shit. And we go into this hospital, and uh, Jody goes, "Hi," talking to the pro- woman behind the counter. Can, is there anyone that worked here 15 years ago? She asked. And this woman behind the counter goes, "Oh yeah, Betsy. Betsy was here 15 years ago." So Jody goes, "Is she in?" She goes, "Oh yeah, she just started. She's got on her shift." She goes, "Can I talk to her?" She's like, "Sure." So. Betsy comes out and we're standing there and Jody goes, so like we're small talk, blah, 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 blah. She goes, uh, Jody says, um, so do you remember like a, some, like a skinhead kind of like breaking out? She's like, oh my God, that changed the whole way this hospital. She's like, there's no more patient rooms on that side of the hospital. It's all doctor's offices. It's like changed the whole format of the hospital. She's like, she goes on and on and she tells Here the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then she looked at me in a second and she was talking to Jody and telling her the story. She's like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I can't say too much because it's a juvenile case and da, da, da. And then she looks over and she goes, you're him. And I was like, yeah. But again, I had no more swastika on my neck. So I looked different. I'm sure my aura even looks different. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a hateful person, you know. It's just a mess. And so she's like, you're him. And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. And she's like, are you doing okay? And I'm like, doing great. You know, and she's like, so good to hear. Like if someone, you know, usually you don't hear yeah. good no, things. Yeah, people come well. down her. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she explains the story. And to them, the story was worse than the way I say it. And then in that same trip, we went and visited some of the Springfield, old Springfield skinheads who were not part of the movement, and neo-Nazi skinheads who were not part of it anymore. Uh, good guys and uh, family men and stuff now and so we took them all out to dinner and they had some drinks and stuff and then I walked away so Jody can interview them without me sitting there because I don't want people so to they're free to sit yeah, yeah. Not, I don't want them to be like you know what uh, Frank did it he did this and that and he was really mean and nasty but look over and be like but he was a good guy like, I didn't want that <laughs> great I TV to show be, yeah. yeah yeah I want them to be honest with her so I will walk away and she told me when I, I got to see him again she's like that whole hospital incident she's like 
they tell the story like you jumped out of there because I did have a, a sheet wrapped around me so I wouldn't get caught because it was big double plane glass I jumped through. It was kind of sh- shattered already a little bit. It was still intact though. It was like spider webbed. And I went through it and so one of my friends told her a story. It was like, I looked like a Superman coming out. <laughs> the sheet was flat like my cape. And she tells all these funny, you know, crazy stories about other people's versions of, of what happened. And like none of them matched up to kind of what mine's is, which mine was the more humble yeah. of them all. And so when people always say like, how does it feel when you write a book, especially when you write an autobiography at a young age, you have a lot of problems there. You have, well, for one, everyone's still alive. So everyone yeah. has their own versions of stories and that's just the way it is. And then the other one is that like, just the perception of everything is just, I know, I, I write stories in the book about me and three other guys, one of them, two of them now are dead, um, and we were all like, real good friends and good crew, bad crew people together, but we were a good crew as brotherhood. Yeah. And um, I would tell the story and I would describe every guy in the book to the T. So I would get a phone call from each guy who are mad at me because- About the book? Yeah, because they would say this, man, you know what, you really nailed- Jimmy and John, you really nailed the way they But me, you're so off. And then the other guys call me and be like, yo, Jimmy and Mark, you nailed them. But me, I don't do that. You know, and I'm like, like you know, one guy always spit all the time. And he's like, I didn't do that. And, I, and everyone, people that don't even like me in the movie, that are still in the movement are like, yeah, you do. You always spit. You spit before you say like every three words. You know, and he's like, you know, so it was just stuff like that, you know. Um, and then the other is that like, I didn't want, I didn't write my book uh, to, I had already become, I did everything backwards, you know, there's, I started speaking first, and because I had no idea about public speakers as a kid, never even heard of a public speaker, you know, I mean, I heard of it, but I didn't know what it entailed, and uh, then, you know, this movie, American History X, comes yeah. out, which everyone, like, contributes to me, I mean, I, I, I say even in the book, it's not, a, it's, it's, they, they did their own story, but we've had other people that were rewriters on the staff who kind of were like, wow, people knew everyone's story back then. You know, there yeah. were only two people that were out of the movement, me and TJ Lyda. They were only two out and talking our story. So, mm-hmm. um, and no, I've never heard any other story of any skinhead or neo-Nazi who ever was a baller like me. Like, I was a baller. That's what yeah. saved my ass a lot. And so, and that's American Asia. You know, he's a baby. Like, there is never a story like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people had some, and even IMDb. It's a trivia question on their trivia game. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is American History X based off of somebody? And is, is, yes, Frank Mink. So <laughs> some people know something, but I know that the main writer didn't know me. I know that. That's a, a fact. But there's, you know, tons of rewriters. And, you know, my I'm rewriting our movie now. And it's in third or fourth person's hands right now. I don't even you, know. You have a movie coming? The book's got, the book got optioned by... Uh, by a guy named uh, Bobby Pura, who used to be with the Jackass guys and all that back when MTV days. That's awesome. So me and him did a TV show for AMC a couple, a couple of years ago, which made it to the pilot season, and then that was it. But uh, we became really good friends on set and just real cool guy and, uh, you know, East Coast guy and lives out in L.A. And, so he... So um, he's Jimmy. Everything yeah. ends and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, me and him became real good friends. And then when the show got cut, he got his production office to option my book. And then we wrote the script... In a week in Chicago, like we sat down in a hotel and just wrote, wrote all night long. And I, I've done that a bunch of times. Where I love doing long writing assignments like yeah. that, you know. So anyway, uh, that's in its third or fourth rewrite right now. And, you know, it's got some promising leads and stuff. So a lot of people wanted the book to become a movie. So 
Um, it's happening. And it's happening. And then, you know, Small Great Things is probably going to come a movie. And I don't know if you read that yet. or if you, No. So, you know, that's the Dirty Peacock book. Yeah. So I helped her do all the research. She writes about me in the back of the book. But not even that. I'm a character in the book itself. And this book has been on the New York Times bestseller list now for about a month, two months now. And I'm, the main, the good guy character at the end is all based off me. And everyone that reads it yeah. goes, that's Frank's story. Anyway, so that's going to, that's doing real well. And I think about that becoming a movie too. So, but all I want to do in life, and this is, call me uh, petty with it, but I just want to be a hot, keep being a, a paid hockey coach. Like that's yeah. how I want to make my living. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I, I mean, I'm good at it. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just really good at picking hockey players. I've been around the game uh, since most of my all my adult life. I've been around the game. I have actually been work, hired. And you said you were born on the day the Flyers. I was born <laughs> six days before they okay, won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. The last Stanley, and I haven't won it since. So I wonder why I'm a resentful motherfucker all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they never would want it in my real lifetime yet. So, and I've been, we've been in a promised land a bunch of times, man, but we just can't get in that door. So, um, but then I worked for the Flyers, which was, for anyone wouldn't know, an amazing story already. And that's back when I was 19 years old. I just got out of penitentiary. I get hired by the Flyers to do this inner city hockey program. That's like a kid in New York working for the Yankees in Philly. You know, yeah. the Flyers are huge there. And I'm a diehard Flyers fan. And here they give me a job. And it's still like during the Eric Lindros years. And I'm working for them. And I lived, we lived there for a while. And then we moved here. And then I got a job working with Dallas. And, uh, and then a good funny story with that. And then I got one on the Anaheim. And now, like, even tomorrow, I'm going to go work with, you know, the Des Moines Buccaneers. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've always been around hockey now. And around, I lived with some pro hockey players off and on when I was doing my book tours and been to some of their weddings and been, you know, Getzlaff and Perry. I mean, just to throw out, you know, yeah. name drop. I mean, my wife actually told Perry to go fuck himself. And she was all <laughs> drunk and she didn't know who he was. And we were all like, oh, that's, you know, that's Perry. And she was like, who the fuck is that? She's Maybe he drunk. needs to go fuck himself. Yeah, she was all drunk. You know. <laughs> she had something to say. She always had something to say. But it was good. It was funny. Super funny. So, um, oh shit, I was going to go with something and I forgot what it was. Um, well, but anyway, so it's just, yeah. I, that's what I want to do. I've been very good and very uh, well versed in hockey. And, well, uh, and that's where Scott first saw you. And yeah, was it? We, it was my first game, I think. And I just moved back here and uh, I didn't know anybody. Uh-huh. And there was a scrap and then. Two guys were going at it, and you stepped in, and like everyone just like hands off, <laughs> backed up. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is like, what? Our goalie just came out. Uh, so then after the game, we're all in there, and you're dread, you know, leaving. You uh-huh. see all your tats and stuff. And yeah. I'm just like, God damn, I'm glad that guy's on our side. And, and I'm small, right? I mean, that's what you don't realize. I'm a small guy. I'm a five, five yeah. nine. I mean, I. I'm not a, a there's definitely a, I, I not intimidated by normal like just men you know uh, I think I got over that in prison maybe so <laughs> but yeah I mean I've always just I've always kind of known how to throw my hands as long as I'm sober but I've lost some drunk fights bad but I mean <laughs> as long as I'm sober I, I know how to hold my hands I know how to deal and and you know there's a big legendary fight here in Des Moines when I fought that big firefighter guy this guy was just out there to pick on people and be an yeah. intimidator and and I was the smallest guy on our team, and he kept doing something. I went back to the bench on last shift, and we had some big guys on my line. And I was like, yo, he does something again. I'm, I'm dropping with him. And they were like, oh, watch it. Be careful. I was like, 
all right, watch this. <laughs> and I go out. He, he, I waited for him. He just touched me one time. And I was like, what? And he was like, you don't want to do this, Frank. And he's a big guy, man. And he, I'm sure he's a great person off the ice. I don't ever take anything off the ice. And he dropped his glove. And I, as soon as he dropped his glove, well, I just swung. <laughs> and I just clocked him. And he just was like, whoa. I heard him go, whoa. And he went down. And I was like, whoa. And the whole, everyone, even the guys on his team were like, Yay! Like a little yeah. bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, yeah. Yeah. He had it coming. Yeah, he had it coming. So you know, it's uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. So it's a couple of fights here and there. When I and it, that goes back to me fighting bullies when I was a kid. I hated bullies, yeah. you know. And eventually, I actually when I'm a skinhead, I become a bully in a yeah. way. But I, when I was a kid, I hated bullies. I got bullied for like a year for by this one guy, and I wouldn't fight him. And finally, it all come down to hockey. I mean, he bullied me at school and outside of school, but he never at hockey before. And we were on the same team one day and he wouldn't change because he wanted to stay out and do a longer shit. And then that was it. Like, I'll, I'll take your bully shit. Yeah. But don't take my, <laughs> don't take don't take my time away from me. It wasn't even like we were doing roller hockey. Was like, I was like, that, that that's where I finally had my enough stand. And I was like, all right. And he's like, I said, get off now. And he's like, that's it. After after the game, you know, we're going to fight. I'm like, yeah, we're on the same team. This sounds great. You know, whatever. You lose and when we went, and I, I beat, the, beat the balls off that kid. Like, I remember I just, he, and I think I went through a whole year of his torment and I just beat the ball <laughs> off him and I was like I could have could have ended this a long time yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know what maybe it was the growth of it you know sure. so that's why I gotta look at it so anyway. how like cause you talk about the fights and I'm, I've never been in a fight how is it I feel like my body would just be like let's just die then I can't make it through this yeah um, like when you're talking about just getting stomped and stuff it's just like adrenaline is adrenaline and and the one thing that someone said to me a long time ago like I don't change expressions when I'm fighting the same expression you see on me now is the same thing you're going to see on me when I'm fighting it's just normal just like okay it's a job or it's a duty it's a you know I mean uh, you know obviously today I don't fight at all unless it's ever if it wasn't a hockey rink other than that I will not on this podcast Yeah, yeah, I mean I will always find my way out of a fight you know I have great one liners to get me out of fights you know so I just use them and like or I'll, I'll say something, but it's my job is to get out of a fight now without yeah. harming another human being, you know, or them harming me. I mean, if some, you know, every day, every dog has a day, and you watch YouTubers, a thousand one punch fights that were some lucky dude yeah. hit a guy and he just hit him right in the spot and pinched the vein in the jaw or whatever, knocked him out. And I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Neither, you know, but if I do, I'd rather be the guy knocking out somebody, not getting knocked out. So. I just try to avoid that stuff now. It's uh, not, you know, my whole mes- message and what I do for a living uh, with with my speaking engagements and working in juvie centers is it's all about empathy. I mean, yeah. if you can reteach empathy or not even reteach it, just reintroduce it into somebody's life, it, it changes the person that you are if you can find things that, I can't hate someone if I could find something in common with them, especially pain. Oh, you had a father who's an alcoholic. Me too. You know, you, you know, your mom went through that breast cancer. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know, I lost my son uh, two years ago, my 19-year-old no. in, in a car accident, which threw me for a loop. I mean, I relapsed over it. It was crazy. I mean, yeah. I was crazy. And, uh, you know, I never thought that something would affect me so much. And, I mean, I had a nervous like breakdown. In, yeah, yeah, I had a nervous breakdown in Reno one day. Like, just, I was like, in Reno, like, I'm going to shoot a man to watch him die. You know, like, so, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, it was... Uh, it's crazy. Had a huge uh, nervous breakdown, and when I came home, I instantly relapsed again. And so, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. It's just crazy. And my my brain, and I could talk forever, as you can see. No. But um, my brain, and this is if you know any alcoholics or addicts in your life, this is this is the truth about what why we are the way we are, is that every one of us has uh, our DNA makeup of our brain. Well, 
alcoholics and drug addicts, we kind of change the DNA makeup of our brain because your primal brain was that little primal stem that goes right into your brain from your uh, from your spine is your your stem that where we first generated thought. And uh, so the first thing is fight or flight. That's where that, that comes from. Yeah. Right? That brain stem right there. Fight or flight. What are we gonna do? You know, punch the dude in my fucking mouth, or we're gonna run. You know. Uh, well, we change that to the third option, which is use. Fight, flight, or use. And it becomes a real option in our lives all the time. Yeah. And and so you have to get that arrested somehow. You have to get that under control. And, and, and I, I do it by going, you know, to a 12-step program. And I, and I love – and I stuck it out through that program even when I had my relapses and it stuck by me. So um, – I changed that makeup of my brain, and what the primal part of your brain does is it tells your frontal lobe, "I got this." Like yeah. we're in danger mode, and so let's go use. And it tells my frontal lobe, "That's a good idea." This is the solution. Yeah, and yeah. my frontal lobe knows if I think about it for more than a second, I go. But every time I use, I wind up like in really bad spots and really bad places, and I hurt mm-hmm. people's feelings, and you know, and but it, my primal brain kicks in and says. I got this. And that's, I started to learn that about myself as I went to rehab. Yeah. And, and the brain is just a fascinating thing. Plus, you know, just to know that we change. Because people always say, why can't he just stop drinking? You know, you always hear that about, you know, <laughs> I just don't get it. And then when people say, it's not a disease. Like, it's changed the DNA yeah. makeup of our brains. It's got to be something. Maybe you don't want to call it a disease. Call it a disorder or something. But it's yeah. real. And I can testify to it that I've had some of the greatest things in my life going on. And my primal instincts kicked in for whatever reason, and I used. I mean, I had three years sober three times. Yeah. Three years. And then, like, always something stupid, something happened. Well, I mean, it's major that your son died. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean yeah. not just a it little was. thing. Yeah, it's not a little thing. Yeah. No. But that was something that right away I didn't use. It was funny, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just, like, one of those things where just little things. It's kind things of in are, the back of your brain as yeah. a solution. I mean, I remember I'm sitting in the casino in Reno, Nebraska, Reno, Nebraska, Reno. And um, I just start crying, bawling, crying at the casino, playing a video game, playing like a slot machine. Because uh, I was there, I was working for this agency that my son actually wanted to work for. And I actually had gotten him in the door for this agency. And, and I'm there, I'm doing this work with them. And uh, the night off, and I'm in the casino, and I'm thinking about him, thinking about how, you know, because we were supposed to go to Vegas together. That was his, oh. one of his birthday wishes right before he passed. So he wanted me and him to go without his mom, you know, God bless her. He wanted just me and him to go. And so I'm sitting in Reno and I'm playing the video games. I'm thinking this would, this could probably be like there our by trip. Yourself. Yeah. yeah, this could be our trip right here. And I just start bawling crying and I can't stop. Like it was just a nervous, crazy breakdown. And the, this woman comes over to waitress and she's like, hey, uh, you okay? You know, and I'm like, I can't even get it out. You know, yeah. like I'm just horrible. And so she's just looking at me like she didn't know what to do. And she, she goes to get the, like the bouncer security guy he comes over, big guy. He's like, What's going on here? You know, you okay? And he, he goes, you're losing your ass? He thinks I'm losing my money, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm actually up. I'm actually up. So and I, try, I finally got out a little bit what was going on with me. And I and he was, he's like, okay. He's like, yeah, buddy. He's like, I, hey, man, the drinks are on me. See, Reno's such a scumbag place. They don't yeah. even give free drinks. It's Reno. Like, Reno's the, the dirt balls of the, you know, of Vegas. So it really is. Like, the worst casinos in Vegas are the ones, the best in uh, Reno. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just, and he goes, look, buddy, drinks are on me. And I don't even drink. Thank God I wasn't drinking yet at the time. He goes, but listen, man, you can't cry at a casino. It's not good for business. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's no crying in yeah, casinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I start, you know, wiping my tears away and stuff. And he goes, just, if you're going to stay chill, man, he's like, drinks are on me. And I was like, I don't drink. <laughs> so he's like, sodas are on me then. And, and, they, and they were very nice and kind to me. And I, I started to 
do it again and lose it again at like three in the morning and I had a flight at seven in the morning and so anyway I just remember I was leaving and it was just I was like wow like I've always heard people say I had a nervous breakdown and I never I was always like oh please you know yeah. guess, grow a set you know whatever and now it's like boom it's just like PTSD like I never yeah. thought I had that shit you know what I mean people are always be like oh PTSD and I'm like yeah that's something the military dudes come home with whatever yeah. you know so then I go and I get it evaluated and I'm in a rehab trying to get this evaluated because something's not working right in my brain and uh, so the doctor says well tell me is there time that you think about your stepfather every day and I'm like oh yeah it's something yeah. about him, him degrading me somehow and he goes give me an example of something I said well when I was a kid my stepdad called me down in front of his friends. My mom had left. And as soon as my mom would leave, he'd always fucking start with me. Mm-hmm. Always. Called me down out of my room unpunished. His two boys, his two friends are over there. They're drinking. And he goes, hey, uh, fucking Einstein, come here, you fucking dummy. You know, that's just how he talked to me. And I go down. And I'm like, yes, John. He goes, you know how to read a tape measure? Yeah, John. And I'm 10 years old, 11 years old. Yeah. I'm thinking I know how to read half inch, quarter inch. You yeah. know, the big mm-hmm. one. You know, I know. I know that stuff. I read, I read a rule at school. I like that part of class. <laughs> And he goes, uh, oh, yeah, well, what's uh, 16 and 5 sixteenths? And I'm like, this one? And, he, and I just got, you know, pointed. And he's like, no. See, that's what you just fucking think you know it all. And he starts berating me in front of his friends. He's like, and I remember for the first time in my life, this was the first time ever, I always just took it. I always took what he said to me, just, just sat there and felt like, and I finally had enough balls. I said, instead of doing this to me, why don't you just teach me? And he didn't like that I did that in front of his friends. He got up, and I didn't make it back to the steps going upstairs in my room before that tube was on me. And he beat the shit out of me for, you know, saying how dare me embarrass him in front of his friends and all that. How do people like that have friends? You know what? His friends, when I said that, his friends, I could tell they were like, yeah, Yeah, what what the fuck? This kid's kind of smart. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so every day when I use a tape measure, either my hand, I always use a tape measure, doing work around my house or where I was working or always have tape measure around me. Every time, the first day, first time of the day, I pull it out and I go to go pull it, I think of that fucking incident. Mm. And so my psychiatrist was like, dude, that's, textbook fucking PTSD, yeah. you know? And I was just like, oh, I guess, I guess because the people kept saying that to me, like, you got it with all the violence in your life. And, and you just associate it with soldiers. Yeah, the military dudes, yeah. you know? So either some of them were bullshitting about it trying to get bunny, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, or they really do habits because they're, you know, but, and I'm like, wow, this shit is true. Like, yeah. every day I felt really bad about myself and brought up violent thoughts in my head of shit that happened to me whenever I pull out a tape measure. And now, you know, I, I, I'm on like a light medication, uh, nothing too major, but, um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm very active in my recoveries. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen as often. That's, and I use the tape measure 10 times a day. I can tell you, and I didn't think about it once. I might think about that. I used to think yeah, about it, but that's it. But not, it's not, not a trigger. Yeah, it's not like a, him whooping my ass thought. It's yeah. like a, wow, this used to affect me. And it doesn't, that type of thought. Well, that's, that's what, and so I'm on medications for anxiety and depression. And I sometimes think I'm like, have things happened bad enough to me that I'm feeling this way? Do you ever feel that yeah, way? Yeah, like yeah, when yeah. things are like okay now and then I'm like. Wait for the shoe to drop? Yeah, and I'm like, well, garbage person. You yeah. shouldn't feel this way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, look at other people. And like, then, but it's like your head just messes with you. Your huh. brain can do crazy things yeah. to you. Oh, my brain wants to kill me. 
Yeah. It just needs its body for transportation for a couple more years. <laughs> off me up just yet. So it needs me for transportation to get some places. But until then, it's going to, you know. But, uh, you know, I can arrest it too. And I can also feel good about myself when I look at my accomplishments now. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I don't rest on the laurels of what I've done. And I continue to do, as everyone always says, you're always doing something. I am. I yeah. Gotta, if I sit still for a minute, I swear I start thinking I, I'm sliding backwards, you know. So I'm yeah. always just like trudging this road of happy destiny, as they say. And it's not walking or skipping. It's trudging. You know, you're kind of like going. Uh, uh, but you're going this happy destiny. Well, I kind of think, because I was kind of picturing, because you'd go and talk to kids and stuff, and so I was thinking, man, I wish you would have come to my school. Obviously not, because we're about the same age, but we had this middle-aged guy come to our school when we are in middle school to talk about don't do drugs, and he's singing these fucking corny songs. Are you talking about, about rock intervention? Yes! Okay. <laughs> you can't talk about Pat like that. Come on, Pat's a good guy. <laughs> Pat, I'm sorry. <laughs> But then it's just like, no. <laughs> no, when you're like doing that to kids and all the kids are like, oh, man, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. We need to do drugs to not be like this because that's not cool. Yeah. No, and, it, and you know, that's what I always talk about too because I, I never heard of public speakers. Yeah. We had two guys that came to our school every year at our school. One guy would always come and he would take like the eighth graders or so and he would say, if you boys are the ones robbing them trains down, because there used to be a train yard that went through our neighborhood, and everyone just robbed the trains. It was the thing to do. It was like a fun <laughs> thing to do. Hey, Rob, see what you What'd you get on. from the trains? Uh, v- well, the big golden score you always heard about, but I was never part of it, was like the VCR trucks, because they were just back of trucks on the, on the trains. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but I remember the one time, well, we, did it, we did it two times. One time we did it, and we got a bunch of grapes. And I thought that was <laughs> awesome. Like, we were, yeah. we were open a winery. Yeah. We Irish kids. We were, like, 13. No, I was, like, you know, probably, like, 16 when I did it. No, it was probably 15 or so. Anyway, um, and then the other time, this was really bad. The, the train yard went into the Navy base, which was still there at the time. It was a naval yard. It wasn't, but for some reason, they still got shipments there. And one of the trucks we got broken into had a bunch of empty shells. Now, not packed shells of, like, 50 calibers or something crazy. But there was no, no gunpowder. just the shell, right? Yeah. But, you know, stole them anyway. They were kind of cool looking. They were yeah. shiny. They were shiny. We were like, oh, hey, there you go. So he goes and... Um, God, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. That's yeah, all right. You, know, you won't even... The dog won't even give it to me. He's, um, yeah, he's showing off for you. Well, what happened was the uh, the FBI and a bunch of people got involved because sure. it was these bullets, yeah, you know. And what it did is it brought a lot of pressure down on our neighborhood. And it was like me and, just me and a couple of my cousins. And I, I never told this story before at all. But... <laughs> And I, I mean, somebody so long ago, but like they were, they swarm in our neighborhood for so, there was so much heat, like the drug dealers had to get off the streets. <laughs> so like all these people found out, and I swear to God, I thought it was going to wind up dead. I thought they like, oh, yeah. some of the, mob was, gonna... the Irish and Italian mob was going to kill me because I was hurting business, <laughs> me and my cousins, because they, they always find out who, they always find out who did it before the cops do. You know, no one ever really found out, you know what I mean? And like some, I remember a bunch of them, we left in underneath this like uh, dock where they put, uh, big trail tractor trailers with dock here at this one place and we stuck it way underneath there and uh i don't know how i don't know if maybe we called or something but we wanted to get the pressure off so we kind of like somehow got known that that's where they were and they went and found them and it was like the whole thing like it's all done it's all done we left our neighborhood you know <laughs> yeah i went to this is not robbing a train but there's a hobo festival oh and so <laughs> 
There's a whole gang of hobos and stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I got their There is gang a whole signs. gang. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, they have sign. Yeah. Yeah, they're hobos. There was a big murder that happened once with them, and there's a whole big write-up about it, like Rock, you know, Rolling murder? Stone. Yeah, the Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, my. Oh, so what I was saying was the guys at my school used to come, and the guy would always be like, stop robbing the trains. If you're robbing the trains, knock it off. <laughs> look at these shows, picture of guys with their legs cut off. And we'd always be like, oh, we know that guy. <laughs> That's Johnny's brother. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny, you know, because people would fall off the trains all drunk, you know, robbing the trains all drunk. And you fall off and get your head or legs cut off. So, good, you know. And then the other guy was this guy would come in from the Philadelphia Gas Works. And you come in and you talk about smelling gas. If you smell gas in your house, get out. Blah, blah, blah. And the whole time he's talking, there's filling up this little plexiglass house like you could see you know as the yeah. furniture inside is a clear plexiglass house and he, the whole time there's like gas going into the house right and we're all we're all kids you know and I remember the first time you don't know what's going to happen but after that you know <laughs> so he comes in and he would start talking and then he go so yeah and all that going on and remember I said if, if you smell how dangerous so someone's going to ring your doorbell one day when you ring the doorbell the spark from the doorbell lights the house on fire and it blows up ring the auditorium and it just pops up every yeah. time, no flame or nothing but I remember and and it would do it and we'd all be like yeah yeah. Do it again. And yeah. he's like, no, that's bad. You don't want to do that. And we're like, no, so that was the only people that ever came to our school. Yeah. And I loved the assemblies. <laughs> we had a surprise drug dog situation at our school where they're like, we're going to talk to you about the drug dog. And the drug dog came in and then they took the drug dog around all the lockers and cars. So people were just fleeing the school oh, like man. that was like a high school have, too yes you oh, can't yeah, have bad. a sneak attack a, drug yeah. dog that's not right assholes. yeah so is this dallas center yes oh what an asshole <laughs> <laughs> i do okay so this happened Good. not to get off of all this but i thought it was funny interesting that the clan makes your parents sign something to join us. yeah yeah we all did that when we were kids we all joined we we're like 15 16 years old me and all my buddies, uh, we went with the joint Invisible Empire. Cat, get off my brownie. <laughs> so, um, I can't get So, the, um, we had to get the, you have to fill out an application to join the clan, right? They don't just take anyone because you might be a fed, even though half of them are feds. <laughs> but they would say, you know, you have to join. And so, and it says if you're under 18, you have to have your parents check this box and sign for you. <laughs> That's so, crazy. You know, we were all like, yeah, okay, but we're all, we're <laughs> yeah. all like, selling guns by this point in our life like we're gonna you know go back to our parents and join the clan so we all just you know swapped and signed each other's thing like i signed as my buddy's mom and but we all signed i'll never forget we're headed back up and our buddy goes the older guy of the group goes don't, don't forget when we get there they're gonna want those those applications and, you know they gotta be signed by your parents or i mean it's your clan we permission like, slip yeah. and we're like this is the invisible empire it's supposed to be fucking invisible you know, and now you're asking me for my parents' signatures. <laughs> Filling and so out paperwork. We did it. We all did it, and they never even checked. And, you know, they looked for oh, yeah. and then they, we all got became part of it. We weren't like hood wearing clan. Now again, I'm just young, and I'm, we joined this group, and there's a whole bunch of us that joined at the same time, like 40 of us. The biggest biggest numbers that jumped they had in, since the 60s, maybe. Yeah. You know, and now it, it happens. Well, within two weeks of that. All of us, because we, they were all still old school clan when we were all these new young guys coming up and we never wore hoods and we were always out brawling and we went to this nightclub, got in this huge fight and a write-up came in the newspaper the next day, said clan skinheads, because we all clan patches on our jacket, clan skinheads ruined animal rights concert. <laughs> and we didn't know it was an animal rights, you know yeah. what I mean? People, it was just a concert. We were just going to go and fight and mm-hmm. here's an animal rights concert. So they made it sound like we were in there like, kill puppies, <laughs> kill kittens, they suck, you know? And so... <laughs> they wrote the story looks really bad for uh, for the clan and so they call us we went to a meeting like a week later and the clan said hey we want to talk to a bunch of you and they pulled like who they thought were the leaders of me and 
a couple other guys can put their names out there. But uh, and they bring us in this back of his woods, you know, and they're like, "All right, guys, so here's the deal: like, you're giving us a bad name, you're giving the clan a bad <laughs> the name." Clan. You know? And we're like, "We're like, what?" You know? And then we're like, "You know," and we're like, "Yeah, we are." You gave you know? the clan a bad name. Yeah, that's what they said. And so they're like, "Look, we have to get rid of you. You just have to get off." You know, they said, "But we don't want to lose all your numbers." I mean, it's the dead on conversation. We don't lose all your guys' numbers. You have a lot of guys coming up, and you are real active. They said, so we're going to make you guys your own group, and then you will be like our security. And we're like, <laughs> you know, we're like, yeah, cool, whatever, which was kind of a shitty job. <laughs> and so we do that for a little while where we were like their hit, we were like their hit men, you know, like we napalm people's houses and cars and uh, whatever hit or whatever way of tormenting whoever it was. And most of them sometimes were innocent people. Most of the times there were people that were rivals of ours, the mm-hmm. other right-wing groups, other left-wing groups that we had to fight against. So, um, you know. Um, but I remember when we were at this Klan rally, and this is where a lot of people go to Klan rallies to, to protest the Klan, and I get it. But I'm going to tell you the, the truth, and, and there's, people ain't going to stop doing what they do because they're hear me now. But I remember we'd march down the streets like Westchester, Pennsylvania, holding banners and, you know, Sig Heil, and, and people would throw bottles and stuff at us, you know. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to smash racism and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I never once thought in those moments ever when I ducked the bottle, like, whoo, whoa. I never thought, let me rethink my belief <laughs> yeah. system here. Hold on, God. You know, like I always thought, like, now I'm taking a wrong back. turn. Yeah. You know, now, you know, now that's my enemy. Yeah, that's my enemy. And now, you know, it's just, you're messing with my team. And so I always stayed more involved. So the way if you ever want to get somebody out isn't by threats or violence or any or, or acts of violence. It's. Having conversations, having a conversation with somebody and saying, and even like, even to this day, and people take it this wrong way because I'm, I'm used to be a racist. Like, some of the greatest men in my life, I don't have black friends, I don't have Jewish friends. I have tons of mentors in my life that happen to be black and Jewish and people mm-hmm. that, and of all races. So those are the true people in my life who who help me and, and you know mentors. Everyone needs them. You know that they're the people that have the map to the minefield of life. That yeah. the direction you want to go. You know I want to be a better dad. I want to follow this guy. And he might be a black guy, but I don't care. I see how he is with his kids. I want to be that way. And I follow his his footsteps and I ask him questions and I find that mentor and and I might still start, I might find new ma- minds and and, mm-hmm. and but at least I have a, somewhat of a guide and a map and it's a mentor. So. Um, you know, I just happen to have all these type of people in my life today. But what I was going to say is that um, I still have empathy for even the racist. And, yeah. you know, I really do. I don't hate them. I don't think they're dumb. I don't think they're stupid. I don't think they're, you know, all ignorant. Some of their thought processes are ignorant. And you know, probably so are mine. I mean, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. People are like, why are you? I mean, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I hate the Cowboys. I hate the Pittsburgh Penguins. I hate Sidney Crosby. Oh, I mean, you know what I mean? Doesn't so, he yeah. look like him? He got so mad at me because I was like, oh, that guy looks like you. And he's like, I know. I hate him. Like, <laughs> he doesn't cry as much, I think. As Sidney uh, you know, so I mean, you know, so I, but I still have compassion and empathy for them and uh and i don't and i don't say bad things about them even on stage i might make mocking jokes about myself being in the movement being dumb or being stupid or whatever but i'm not going to talk bad about them because one time i did one time i was on i did an interview and i called them gun nuts Mm -hmm. and then and i was talking about not even just racist i was talking about well talking about like the gun nuts in general country and then i went back on that show i begged the guy to let me back on his show the next week and all i went to get on there for was an apologize and i was like i can't say Gun nut. Who am I to say gun nuts? Mm-hmm. What happens if one of those people ever needs my help or wants to talk to me? And I'm going to be like, no, he called me a gun nut. Yeah. Like, I'm not there for that person anymore because I did that. And that's not yeah. correct of me. That's not the right response. 
So, you know, you live and learn, you know, live and learn. What do you think? Because things are, I feel like things are crazy now. It seems pretty crazy. I mean, there's Nazis on TV. Yeah. Like, and then that's why I said to Scott, I'm like, there's Nazis on TV. And, then and a he's snoring like, dog on a podcast. Yeah. There's a snoring <laughs> pug on a podcast. And Scott's like, yeah. Um, well, Frankie used to be on TV. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, but it's weird here. because it wasn't like in my world yeah. that I would see then. Like, this is probably an embarrassing story, but in Dallas, there were no black people. Yeah. And so I saw black people on TV. I'm like, well, black people are cooler than white people, obviously, That's how they true. are on TV. True statement. True yeah. <laughs> and then so that was how I grew up thinking they're cooler. And then my mom, it was the first time I saw a black person I had. It was a whole thing. We were yeah. in the car driving in Des Moines. And then I just freaked out, excited, jumping in the car. There's a black person riding a bike. Is that Eddie Murphy? <laughs> and then, so I freaked out. I'm like, Mom, there's a black person. There's a black person riding a bike. And I was so excited. And she didn't say anything. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she talks about it now. She's like, I, I was like, I got to get you out of Dallas Center. Yeah. Like, you, yeah. you are not experiencing life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it was like the most exciting time. And I remember the time, but I don't remember how my mom was reacting. She was just kind of driving, probably yeah. horrified, but. Pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Pretty bad story. Yeah. I mean, my stories were bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm black I know. I was so excited. Well, and, and see, and you back up one of the stories of when I first got into the movement. I would sit around these guys who were from Upper Lancaster. They're all these white kids. They're not, again, not Amish kids, but they're these white kids. Mm-hmm. And when they first met me, the reason why they got along with me so well, and these were older guys than me. They were 16, 17 year olds. I was 14, 15, 14. They all thought I was cool, and they talked to me every night about being seeing black people. They were like, so, I swear to you, there was like this one girl who hung out. She was like the queen bee of all of them. She was, like, we never had any other girls hang out because she was queen bitch. You know, seriously, she was always mm-hmm. like, I don't get along with other bitches. So you can't have no other bitches coming over since my. And so she was I'm like, queen, queen bitch. bee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're all, and she was so hot. We were like, okay. But I remember one day she got all drunk, and she was trying to like just be an ass to me or whatever. And she's sitting there, she's standing above me, and tries to like confront me in front of everyone. She's like tapping her foot, and, you know. She goes, so you're going to tell me that you take the bus with black people? Like that. And I was like, chick, I live in West Philly. Like, I take the L train every day. It's all, you know, like, yeah. And she was like, every day, you know, I'm like, yeah. and to me that people think, wow, that's a weird thing. But I, imagine if I went to them and said, so you see Amish people every day. You know what I mean? Because they did. They see Amish people all day, every day. They see Amish people when they see normal people. And, and so... Like, I got it. But so you saying yeah. that is like them. They were always like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, because black people to me, it was just like, they're way cooler than white people, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> And yeah. well, and a lot of people more see, like, uh, what's going on right now in today's world is like, yeah. people up in Michigan. Above the, uh, I think it's the corridor, 75 is the corridor. It's a highway. 70, it's 70 or 75, something like that. Anyway, above that, it's, it's all rural. So then it goes into the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Before that is all like Ann Arbor, Detroit. Uh, all them cities, all them yeah. towns are all south of that. And so all the people that are above that line are people that are in the militias. Not all of them, but that's where they can flourish. And, yeah. and they are, and they have numbers. And why? It's because all those kids up there, they've only seen the black people on Detroit news that happens to come up to their neighborhood, and they see all the shootings and killings and dying, and they, they have no empathy. And yeah. and whose fault is it, you know? It's whose fault? We don't... It, that's it's, But the point is, is that we have to realize that that's real stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like cops shooting black people. And, and again, I played hockey for cops. I played I played on their teams yeah. for a long time. I have great friends that are cops. Um, I mean, unbelievable great friends. And so I know they're not all racist and not all bad people. But I'm going to tell you what I do see, and even some of them. 
they have no empathy for mm-hmm. a black because yep. they grew up in the suburbs of, of Des Moines, mm-hmm. never seen black people. They went away to Fallujah in yeah. the armed military yeah. and they come home <laughs> and now and so now they're trained for war and they still have this fear of the black guy from news. Yeah. And, then, and so that's why their first thing they do is because like, they don't look at a black dude that arrested and think, you know, he looks like my uncle Arnie. Yeah. You know, that's what we do. You, everyone does that. You look at someone, even if you don't subconsciously think, who does he look like to me? It goes through a file in your head. They don't, we don't have that. So you have these guys who are now war bound. They come home and now their their first thing is they fear for their life. So I honestly believe they do fear for yeah. their life. It's because they're fearful of black people, black males. And that's the cause of a lot of the shootings. I'm, that's I'm, what I, our friend Bill Blank, he's a comedian. Yeah, yeah, Bill, know. yeah. But um, he posted a video after like a police shooting and he's like, the problem is the cops are only interacting with black people in when there's a crime way, yeah. in yep. negative ways. Yep. They aren't like friends. They aren't just seeing them as like people. They're criminals. And yep. that's the only, and they see white people all the time. Well, and then so here, that's a great so now, and Billy's right on point because you, they come home from Fallujah. I use that as the best mm-hmm. thing because sometimes they think they're still in Fallujah sometimes, yeah. you know, kicking in doors and shit. We have a constitution that says don't do it, but eh, whatever. Fourth, <laughs> fourth Amendment is not as important as the second. So <laughs> even though the Fourth Amendment really is absolutely a very important rule and a law to live by. Um, so anyway, the, the guys that come home now, war bound, they've been in the war. So the, not is it just like this... Um, this fear but we're now getting these suburban white kids let's go back to their roots mm-hmm. these suburban white kids have feared them and we're just going to give them all of them, all of them their first jobs they don't ever get like go work in the rich area that's for the veteran cops yeah. the rookie cops all work in the hood mm. so now we say we know you know there's a good chance you're probably fearful of these people now go maintain the their, their neighborhood yeah. Yeah. go maintain them and watch how everyone's trying to get away with something dude everyone's trying to get away with something everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. i mean every Freaking person I know almost smokes weed. Like, I don't, yeah. but because it's because I'm so, but if I wasn't sober, I'd be smoking weed because everyone smokes weed and it's probably going to be legal someday. Yeah. But anyway, it's like, so that when they bust a guy, uh, a black male for an ounce of weed or whatever in his car now, right? It gets him into the system. Now he's in the system and people are like, well, you should. Everyone does it. They just yeah. don't search white people's cars as much as they do, uh, you know, if, unless they know you're poor, then they'll search your car anytime. But, um, Get the guy in the system. Then he fails a piss test because he ain't going to stop smoking weed. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just the truth. He ain't going to stop. He fails a piss test. Now he goes to jail. Now he's in jail. Now he catches a case because he runs up some dude and dudes in the mouth. And now he's doing time. And it's like it all builds from these little things that we need to cut yeah. it out. You know, and we're, What you do is when we take those guys away, we're taking young fathers away from their kids. And maybe he's trying to make it, but now he's on probation. And now he ain't going to, you know, it, it's like a whole train wreck of shit over, especially these. Over nothing. Nothing. And that's. I'm glad that Obama, before he left, but I think that uh, the new president's going to bring it back, is the stopping of the private prison industries. That is a leading cause of real racism in this country, is the the Mm -hmm. private prison industry. We have figured out a way to capitalize and be capitalistic on prison, which we shouldn't be. We should Mm -hmm. say that's one way. It's an industry. It's a big... There's so many governors and politicians who own stock in those things. And they say, well, it's just part of my portfolio. That's what they say. It's part of my portfolio. My stock investor. No, you need to go to your stock investor and say, look, I'm a politician. I can't be part of that. Because I can't be a lawmaker. It's a conflict of interest. Yeah, I'm a lawmaker. So, yeah. if I, you know, so anytime you make a law, I'm going to say, well, of course you want more, more money more, for me. Yeah, yeah. More so laws, more money. It's just crazy that we've allowed for private prison industry. I mean, it's like, it's like total recall or something. You know, it's just so, yeah. so that leads down to that path. And so today's world is getting a little crazy, but I, I have all faith in humanity 
and I have all faith in that the middle, the middle of this country, the middle people, not mm-hmm. middle by state wise, but middle middle state wise, Iowa, yeah, Iowa, like, like the middle politic it. type person who believes, you know, uh, maybe the death penalty is cool, and I don't, I'm kind of cool with abortion, but I don't know because I, don't, you know, it, but they still have their core beliefs of just like. Every person can be good, right? Mm-hmm. Enough of us are going to stand up when it starts to kick off. I have, a, I have a really good feeling. Enough middle people are going to stand up and be like, "Look left, look right, you fucking whack jobs. Get the fuck, <laughs> you know, you're ruining our country. Yeah. We're the greatest country in the world, and you're ruining it because you just want your own little agenda. I mean, yeah. Gay marriage. We, we we fight over gay marriage because, and it's you know, it all goes yeah. back to lobbyists. And they're all bullshit. And they run this country anyway. goddammit. it, <laughs> <laughs> the Koch brothers and the lobbyists. I mean, K Street is the. They say when you live in D.C. If you ever been to D.C., I spent a summer there. I met my wife, I and mean, she lived there. They say K Street runs the world, and people don't know what that means. It's because K Street's where all the lobbyist firms are in oh. D.C. And you go down, it's like the most majestic street, and they got glass buildings, and it's they're all the lobbyist firms. So look, you got to know that they know to make money. That's because they have to get us to fight with each other, yeah. so that you're going to be like, you know what? You want to fight with me on this level? I'm going to go get someone, a politician, and I'm going to go pay me and my buddies going to get together. And we're going to give them money, and they're going to go to our politician and vote your ass out for whatever you know. And that's how we get stuck in this shit. Yeah. So it's crazy, and we yeah. let the most corrupt system into the one of the most perfect systems and the corruption is always going to win it's putting a drop of poison in milk or you can drink it it's a whole big beautiful gallon of milk but you put one drop of poison in there you might not drink it the first time but people just say well i don't want the milk period yeah and so that's where we're at it's crazy crazy but we're gonna be okay you say i think so i think we're, i think humanity will always step in i i truly believe that do you have anything that you think people can do to make things get better just stop being crazy no it, it here it, there is there's the same thing it's what i teach all of our hockey players yeah it, it's um it's humility you have to have humility to be part of the human race to be part of a country to be part of a team you have to mm-hmm. practice humility and what is humility humility is i don't think less of myself because I used to do that as a kid so I don't think less of myself but I think about myself less so I think about others a little bit more you know yeah. and like how can I help or what can I do and I know that even though I'm saying I don't think about myself I know that by doing good for other people it makes you end, feel good yeah it makes me feel good and it, and I like I said when I first got out of the skinheads when people say why do you speak out against it and this was my only answer my only truest answer I can come up with because I was there was no other reason I would say my credit score with God is really bad really bad like I'm in the negative in credit scores <laughs> and I needed to get out of it and I knew that I couldn't pay back my debt of this credit score so eventually like it does it'll go back onto your kids and I was like I don't want my kids to ever have to go through what I went through or you know be part of that or something to come down on them and I said so I just started to try to build my credit score with God you know and look again I'm not perfect I mean again I've relapsed you know shit I mean, no I, one's perfect, though. Yeah, you're not. And I mean, it's like one of those things where when people always say, oh, well, you you know, you do all these great things. And then, so, and I'm like, yeah, because I'm a human fucking being. Yeah. And I'm going to stub my toe. But just like the other thing I tell you them, stub your- every kid that I ever coached in hockey, every one of them will tell you, I told them it from the first day on, I don't count how many times you fall down. I only count how many times you get back up. And if there's a day you don't want to get up, then get off the ice. You know, because I'm not going to come out on this floor and when you're fake hurting because I'm not jumping over the bench wall. You know, I'm not jumping over the boards to come out there to find you just wanting mommy to come kiss your boo-boo. Sydney and you're Crosby. Barely, and you're not even wrong. I was like, so don't ever do that to me. So I only count how many times you get back up. And that's, you got to be that way in life. Yeah. You get knocked over, you get back up and dust yourself off and like, take your ass whoopings, you know. Rocky Balboa said it best. And I love this quote. <laughs> he said it best. Life isn't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going on keep moving forward that's life and that's the right way i mean it's not easy and uh shit 
It can start off as a kid not being easy. It can start off at any point in your life. But if you just hold it out, I'm telling you, you become a better human being for going through the tough shit. You just do. Look at you. Well, I'm a shithead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I feel like ending the podcast on, well, I'm a shithead would be pretty perfect. <laughs> How long we talk for? You know, uh, it's like hour 20. Yeah. You want to just wrap it up? Yeah, yeah, let's wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up? wrap it up. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up then. <laughs> what, did you want me to go through things? Well, I don't know. I just... I just had some notes, kind of. I did have one Very question good. that I wanted yeah. answered. <laughs> and Scott's going to be like, what are you doing? But, what? okay. Because... Uh, <laughs> Keep on marching, though. <laughs> Why is okay? So they keep saying white nationalist yeah. in the news. Yep. Is that somehow different than a white no. supremacist? No. Why are they? Is it a rebranding thing? It's a rebranding. They're yes! marketing. It's a and rebranding. Just like the alt right. The alt right is just rebranding. It's just <laughs> saying we're not. We're we're the ultra. What they're saying is we're the biggest right wing douchebags you can find. So we can't say we're the biggest right wing douchebags. So we're just gonna <laughs> say the alt right because alt right yeah. kind of sounds cool and it's kind of. Trendy and, and that's all. And, there, and there's all left and who are douchebags too. So and, and you know, I want me to get equally hate time from everybody yeah. here. But you know they're the ones that just don't negotiate. There's no mm-hmm. negotiation. It's just the way it is, and I'm going to see it that way. And they put a well-spoken person up there, you know, and, and Spencer and and you know I've done shows against him, and you know he's you know he's never real, I, and I've never said nothing personally about him, and he's never said nothing personally yeah. about me. Like we did a PBS thing against each other, and it was a bit cordial, and mm-hmm. I just I did say one bad thing about him about what he did, not about him as a person yeah. or character. Where he said um, when they asked him why he sick hiled at that that rally, memory and hell, Trump, yeah. and all that, and he, he said I just did it because I knew it would piss off the liberals, <laughs> and I said in the conversation. If your humanity tells you it's okay to sig how to do this arm salute that people mindlessly did years ago and killed millions of people over that arm salute, yeah. if you think that that's just pissing somebody off and not bringing terror and fear into people's lives, then he had lost his humanity. And yeah. I think it actually got to him. I don't <laughs> good know. Good job. I, you, know, you know, I mean, he. I know he was big on watching that show. That PBS was a really good special. Great yeah. reporter. I worked with on that, and so. And that's what I've been just kind of wondering because I keep seeing the white nationalist thing and I'm like, is this not a white supremacist? Why are they saying it oh. like it's a different thing? Well, but saying, it's the same because it's, it's just a rebranding. And that's what I kind they're of They're also was... trying to tell everyone that Hitler was now left-wing. They were saying that Nazis... Oh, yeah. They're all trying to... They, they think if they say it enough, it's just going to stick. Well, there's memes about it. So uh, people will post memes and be like, we're fighting with memes now. And... and it's because it says nat because they were national socialists and they're like socialists see and that meant something totally different. <laughs> yeah. Just like the Whig Party meant something totally different. Yeah. Stop being an idiot and trying to break the <laughs> you know the wheels fall off the wagon here. The truth is that was con- ultra right and Stalin was ultra left. That's our two you know pot. Yeah. And but Hitler and Stalin hated each other because one was completely right wing. So this is fact. So well, if anyone listens to this, it's a says Hitler. This is an alternative fact. This is, yeah, this is an alter, <laughs> this is the truth here. It is that they go back and read your real history books in real history. And they hated each other because he was left wing and communist, and and Stalin hated him because he was a nationalist. That's the first part of the sentence. National. national. So he's a nationalist. He was a right wing German for Germany's. You know, it's. It's so ridiculous now. They're trying to do that. Just like they also say that Timothy McVeigh wasn't right wing. Like anything matters. Like, yeah. I mean, he wasn't right wing. I'm like, dude, he hung around the same circles I did. And there's a book about me being around Timothy <laughs> McVeigh. There is. There's a book of a call in bad company about. Why me do and my they friend. want to defend people like that though? Like, because doesn't that 
Like well, they're saying they're saying no, they're not saying like he, me. He, yeah. yeah, they're saying he isn't he isn't part of what we believe, and we're like everyone's like, no, you're the Minutemen. You believe exactly what Timothy McVeigh believed, and exactly what he did, which all goes back to our little movement because the book that he had in this car is the Turner Diaries. It's the book we all kind of read. It kind of gives you the what full, is that? Because I haven't. It's a it's a it. it's a kind of a, a a fictional story about how a race war gets started. Oh. And it's like, because everyone thinks race war, and I had to break this down the other day for somebody because they still, and I don't think when I left, they still don't think they got it. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> race war to us, to the people that were going to have the race war, so that's coming legit from people that would think it, so mm-hmm. not from what your teacher told you, or Mr. Antilly or something. But, <laughs> um, the race war is whites first the federal government, blacks first the federal government, you know, their troops and whatever, and then we kind of just... Give the country out to each other, like, and that, I mean, there's a there's an actual map yeah. of what this plan is going to look like, and really? it's in a book called Blood in the Face, and it's a map that like, from Louis Farrakhan to Richard Butler to all the people back in the day, kind of like, yeah, this is good, we'll take that, yeah, and like New York goes to the Jews, and divide they, up and, the country know, after, and all the Northwest goes to white people, just and, balkanize the yeah, whole yeah, country. and it's just going to be, I mean. So it wasn't going to be when the people say race were blacks and whites fighting in the streets against each other. No, we were going to fight the federal government and get them off our property, and then they were going to they were going to fight them and get them out of the cities, and we were going to have just free reign, just and, divvy things yeah, up. Yeah, you know, just you know, and then we all watched the weak ones die because that's you know, because no matter what, if hate is, does win out, hate can't stop hating. You know, when you get all the white people together, they're going to start hating each other, yeah. and then all the black people start hating each other because I mean, I have tons of great. Men in my life who are, are who are black men who they all say the same thing. It's hard to get out of the black community when you're doing bad, good things. You know, you're doing good things. They, they all say it. All, they're like they're like a bushel of crabs. Mm-hmm. They're all, you know, one. They always leave the top off bushels off crabs if you ever notice because they can't get out because the other crabs are always pulling them back down. They're mm-hmm. always ripping them down because they're moving and they pull them back down. Oh, that's what. So they're always. Yeah. But then they also have another tradition. Don't snitch on the bad ones. So let's pull the good ones down and let the bad ones flourish because we're not going <laughs> to snitch. So they're wow. Like, what a contradiction, you know? And, and I'm sure you'll get some letters about how do I know about the hood. And I, I hope my podcast gets letters. Yeah. Just get some. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you'll get some. Write me some letters. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, you, you ask me a question, I can go on forever. No, so, I'm, so. thank you for explaining that. That's kind yeah. of what I figured, but then I was like, why aren't people saying white supremacists? So, yeah, thank no, you. Because it doesn't sound right. Yeah, it, does, it sounds it doesn't bad. Sell. It doesn't sell. Yeah. We have a bait and switch. Thank you so much for coming here. Absolutely. This Thank has been you. amazing. Thank you for dinner. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> oh, and I want our listeners to know that Frankie also has a pug, so. I do. Yeah. But I don't want her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a new hate group. It's anti-pug. <laughs> <laughs> some empathy yeah. for the pugs <laughs> See, remember, remember when we did that with the clan they said kick us out i told you i really felt like sing out the pipples you know, <laughs> you know, kill the puppies I was, down. I was down for that call this podcast has taken a turn <laughs> okay so thank you thank you goodbye everybody you got anything you want to plug oh yeah oh. let's plug stuff oh yeah yeah so well, probably now listen to that you probably don't ever want to be around me or be around your kids but actually I'm a really good hockey coach and we're three time national champs um, so if you have any kids that uh, ever wanted to even just try hockey and they you never thought you know it's expensive with I, we run a roller hockey program which is a lot cheaper oh, and, yeah. and, and later on can introduce you to a heist but mm-hmm. the kids that we get uh, that have never played hockey or starting to play hockey and then years later or two years later they go in the ice they're always one of the better kids because they have hands and yeah. vision and uh, anyway so uh, I run a roller hockey program here in town with a guy named uh, Rob Cooker who's you know just 
he man, he runs the show and it's an amazing show and we it's a big to do and it's every Sunday at Skate West from uh, three until sometimes three but mainly always around three to like seven at night and it goes from the little ones to the big ones by the end of the night so if you ever want to get your kid just bring them out just come watch a game go watch the kids in your age group and we'll get you there and so it's uh, check out dmrollerhockey.com is the so and we'll put a link to that what else you got movies books, yeah, books. we talked about it my book's old now. It's like six years old. I'm gonna pay. If you know, if you haven't read it yet, you're a loser. Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, I'm cool. I, mean, I, don't, I don't. Other than that, I don't know what the hell. I don't ever know. I have to ask my wife. So. so yeah. So obviously, we'll plug Cold Sweats podcast. That's our podcast. Friends in Centerville. We went on a big foot hunt together. Um, you're looking for foot. Bigfoot. Oh, you? With a couple crazy people in Bonaparte. They're, I think they're just local town drunks that took us out in the country. Yeah. We went with them. It was fine. We, we survived. <laughs> I don't know why I do some of the things I do. It's fine. And it's good. Good, get out. <laughs> and listen to Luke Ritter's album produced by Scott that is on Beast Village Records. Um, what else? What, Scott? What do you want to plug? Oh, geez. I don't, you know, I don't really have anything to... Let's just plug being uh, cool to people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and here's a good thing. Yeah. So there's a song I helped produce, a uh, video I helped produce a couple years ago, and it's so funny. It's coming right. So Chris Stills, who is a Stephen Stills son. So really? Yeah. So I produced his um, music video called 100 Year Thing. It's about how racism always recycles itself. It's a great, and I helped produce all the video you see in the background is all the stuff I found, and me and uh, we, anyway, got to be part of that process, and it's so funny. So actually that, that video and that song beginning a lot of play now. So if anyone gets a chance, go on YouTube with Chris Stills, so that's Stephen Stills' son, and, and, and look up a hundred year thing. And, uh, and I'll post and I, that on yeah, the yeah, podcast yeah, post, page. Yep, and I help produce that and get that's all this awesome. stuff. So, yeah. Oh my God, my dad's going to freak out. Yeah, Stephen Stills, yeah, he's cool. <laughs> I, don't, I never met Steve, but I know Chris is, Chris is freaking awesome. So. All right. That's it. That's, that's it. All right. Be cool to people. Bye. Bye.